0: Good morning, Fellowship. How are y'all? Good. Oh, well, this half is really good. Good morning, Fellowship. How are y'all? Hey, great, great, great. Listen, uh, I am, my name is Fred. I get to be the lead pastor here, and I'm glad that you're here, whether you're joining us in person uh, or online. We're glad to, to gather together. Uh, one quick announcement, real quick, kind of a save the date uh, of something that's coming up, November 6th. Uh, we have uh, what we're calling For Others Sunday. If you remember uh, our, our triangle of our values, um, if, if you could put that slide up there real quick, if you have it. It's the triangle uh, where it is with Jesus. Uh, there it is. Yeah, with, with Jesus at the, at the top in God's word and for others. That kind of captures what we hope as a church God continues to develop us to be that we are a group of people who are with Jesus, that we are a group of people who are in God's Word, and we are a group of people that are for others. And and on Sunday, November 6th, we are taking an opportunity to focus in on that value of for others by um, taking uh, worship. Here And then taking it out into our community of Oakley. So that Sunday starting at nine o'clock in the morning. So there's a little time change, but don't worry, your body's going to be used to it because do you know what happens that day? Time change. So all your kids are going to wake up anyway, and so you might as well just bring them on here, right? Like, like, and so here's what we're going to do. We are going to rake leaves at Oakley. Last year, we raked 150 bags in a matter of hours for them. And here's why this is important. They need us to do that because their maintenance is small-staffed and overworked, and that's not even on their list to do. And so they have a couple of areas that just get covered in leaves. And so we clean that up for them so that they can, kinda, they can go on into the, the rest of fall and winter with those leaves raked. And, and here's why we do it on a Sunday. Um, because we spend the other 50 Sundays of the year focusing on being with Jesus and in God's Word. And this value is important to us. And so that's why we take a Sunday to focus on being for others so that we can remind ourselves that this value is a value for our church, that we are a church uh, that because of what God has given us, we give to the community and we serve the community. Even Jeremiah, the prophet in the Old Testament, uh, God gave him this word that said, go do good in your city because if it's good for, if it's good for them, guess what? It's good for you too. And that's why we do it. Our Part of our vision is that wherever we are, the community around us as a church is more beautiful and brings more glory to God than it does if we closed our doors and left. And so we want, Oakley needs us, and so we're going to be there for them. Now, if you can't rake leaves um, uh, for whatever reason, if you have, if you have younger kids, that, that is just crazy time. Like, we have got projects here in the building that are also for the community. We've got some stuff that we're doing here for our police officers and, and firefighters uh, that are just caddy corner for us. So, so, so here's why I say all this as a save the date. When you see the announcements for this, don't think we're not having church that day right? Because I think there's a lot of things wrong with that statement, (laughs) right? We don't have church. We get to be the church, right? Because if we have church, church is about what we do. Y'all, this isn't about what we do. It's about who we are because Jesus died for us and rose from the dead. And so we don't have church. We get to be the church, and so that Sunday, Sunday, November 6th, we get to be the church to Oakley Elementary, to our firefighters, to our police officers, and to any other projects that need to that come up on the radar between now and then. We good? We going to be here? If you, if, if you think I got babies and I don't know what to do with them, we got you. Like, there's, there, there'll be the, you know, there'll, there'll be a place for your babies. So, so I think you have to register for that. Look at the announcements. Look at the website. Get that. I just want to make sure We're online vision-wise about why we do this. With that, let me tell you this. I am really glad that we're here today. And, and if, if you're the type of person that looks at our weekly update on Wednesdays and looks at the passage and, and reads through the passage, I would love to know what you thought when you read through today's passage. Right, Because Jesus says some crazy, radical stuff. And so, so, so here's what I hope happens. I hope we let Jesus be our good shepherd today and shepherd us in, in ways that I think this is what's going to happen. We're going to be uncomfortable for parts of this, of this text. And I think we're going to be uncomfortable for the wrong reasons. And then Jesus is going to do this little whammy on his disciples that I think is going to make us uncomfortable for the right reasons. And so what I've been doing is I've been praying for each of us, as you listen to this message, whether you're here or online or listening to it later in the week, I've been praying for us to be able to recognize um, and to realign ourselves with who Jesus is. And so with that, go ahead and turn to Mark 9, right? We're going to be in Mark 9, verses 38 through 50, And I want to give you some context to today's passage. Because if you remember, last week we saw Jesus teaching his disciples. And if you remember, he He told them the plan of of his death and resurrection. And and shared with them this plan so that they would know that his agenda may not be their agenda. That his agenda wasn't to make uh, Rome this, this powerful nation again. His agenda... Uh, well, I mean, to make Israel this powerful nation and to get rid of Rome, his agenda was to do something greater, right? To, do, to give them what they needed, to give them freedom from sin and ultimately one day freedom from death. And do you remember their reaction to this? It caused a discussion among them. Do you remember what they were asking each other? Who's the greatest disciple? Right? Cuz their question was, yeah, 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 Jesus, I hear you. I don't understand, but when you're president of Israel, who gets to be your vice president? Right? Which one of us is the greatest? Right? And 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 if if you remember what Jesus did is he pulled a child up into his lap and he used this child as a model of service and said, "If you serve them, you serve me. If you receive them, you receive me. And he wasn't talking just about kids. He was talking about the, the people that nobody sees. Because kids had really virtually no value in that society. And he was like, if you're going to follow me and be my disciple, you, you serve those that nobody sees. And you serve even when nobody sees. Well, well, here's, here's, here's the, the question that was bouncing around the disciples' minds was this, like, who is the greatest? And we know that this question is still bouncing around in their heads. Like, like even though Jesus didn't pull this child up and said, got it, got it, yeah, we got it, we got it, we got it. What they did is that question was still bouncing around in, the, in their head because what they do is they, 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 it morphs a little bit for them. They're like, okay, I got it. So it's not... Who's the greatest among us? But now their question is, but we're still greater than them, right? Like it switches from who's the greatest among us to, okay, we're a team. Got you. That's, that's obviously what you meant. And our team is greater than their team, right? Because look at what happens in verse 38. Verse 38 says this, John said to him, Teacher, we saw someone casting out demons in your name, and we tried to stop him because he was not following us. Now, here's what's great. Jesus has just told them, right? He's had this child in his lap, and he said it's about serving those that nobody sees and, and serving when nobody sees. That's my paraphrase of it, right? And their question is, okay, okay, like this, for example. Like, we saw a guy casting out demons in your name, and, but we don't know him. Like, he's not part of us, so we put the kibosh on that. Like, we stopped him, right? Like, that's what you mean, Right? Right? And so so the situation is this, that that some of the disciples don't know someone that's using Jesus' name, right? And so this question morphs instead of, hey, who's the greatest among us? It really is, we're greater than him, right? Right? Like, we've got the secret sauce and he doesn't. And here's the deal. I think, here's why this is important, y'all. I think we ask a question very similar to that, except... You know, most of us have been around church for a while. We know not to use the word greater, right? We use different words. We use words like this. And, and whether we say it or think it, it's like this. Like, like we're better than them, right? That's the way we say it. We're, 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 we're better than them. We're, maybe we're more theologically correct than they are, right? They got this thing wrong, and, and, and so they're not part of us. Maybe it's this one. Well, we're more spiritually mature than they are, right? Or how about this one? We're more committed to our faith than them, right? Any of that sound like thoughts that's bouncing around in somebody's head? You don't have to raise your hand, right? We're against more bad stuff than they are. They're kind of for everything, right? Do you ever think these things about other churches? Do you ever think these things about other people who claim the name of Christ? Right? Our brothers and sisters in Christ. Somebody told me years ago, you know, we are a family. Even with people that we disagree with. In Christ, we're family. And then they said, and you know, at every family reunion, you have a drunk alcohol at some point. Right? We've all got that cousin, that uncle that, that, that shows up that we're like, what do we do? We have, in, in the church world, we have other people who claim to follow Christ, but maybe they're of a different political party than you are, and it doesn't make sense. And it's so easy to sit and be like, Jesus, they're not part of us, right? Uh, maybe other Christian groups. You see, here's our question. What do we do with people who claim to follow Jesus but are just so different from us? See, because this is what the disciples were thinking. What do we do with someone who's using your name, but they're not part of us? But what if Jesus has a different question for us to consider, right? What if we allow our good shepherd to shepherd us for, for, for just a little bit? Look at verse 39. But Jesus said, do not stop him. For no one who does a mighty work in my name will be, will be able to soon afterwards speak evil of me. And so, y'all, so here's Jesus's like radical answer that I think it makes me uncomfortable a little bit. And I think it's uncomfortable for the wrong reasons. Maybe it's making you uncomfortable uh, for the wrong reasons too, because Jesus said, listen, guys, don't stop him, right? Don't stop those that are outside of this group that are using my name, right? Now, I wish I could say that this was something Jesus was specifically addressing the disciples in this moment about this person, whoever this person may be. Because here's what that would do. That would give us, as followers of Jesus in this day and age, an opportunity to just skip right over it and be like, well, that was true for them there, but but not for us here. Like, we know more about the Bible. We have the full Bible. They didn't even have the full Bible. They just had Jesus' words. Like, that's worse. Right? Right? You see, but this isn't the only time something like this happened. Turn with me to Numbers in your Old Testament. The book of Numbers, uh, chapter 11. All right? And we're going to see something very, very similar. We're going to be in verse 24. If you want to remember the book of Numbers, like if you're a visual learner, it's fun to take a bunch of numbers and just draw them randomly on a page, because that's what the book of Numbers is all about. It's about how the nation of Israel starts in Egypt and heads towards towards Israel as as Moses sets them free, and, and it's their wandering in the desert, right? And they get the tabernacle, and they learn what it means to worship God, and they're just kind of all over the place in the desert. That's what the book of Numbers is about, And at this point in the book of Numbers, what happens is is as the nation of Israel has left Egypt, they realize that going through the desert, they get a different diet than they had back in Egypt. And they start missing meat and they're complaining to to Moses about, gosh, we just wish we had meat. Remember the leeks and onions and the great food we had in Egypt when we were slaves. Remember the great food that we had though, right? And so God's about to give them food. He's about to give them so much food that he says you will get sick of it. Because the quail are going to come and you're just going to be able to grab them out of the sky and cook them and eat them and you're going to basically have quail coming out of your nose and you're going to be sick of it. And so what God does before that though... Is he? Is he wants to show them just how powerful of a God he is, right? Because for this generation, it's a new experience for them, and he wants to show them who it is that they're that they're worshiping. And so, look at v- chapter eleven, verse twenty-four. It says this: So Moses went out and told the people the words of the Lord, and he gathered seventy men of the elders of the people and placed them around the tent. That's the tent of meeting where the where God would where Moses would meet with God, and 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 God would make his presence. Known And the Lord came down in a cloud and spoke to him and took some of the spirit that was on him, being Moses, and put it on the 70 elders. And as soon as the spirit rested on them, they prophesied, which means they declared the words of God. But they did not continue doing it. So it was temporary, right? So we have this gathering of, of, of leaders around the presence of God, around this tent of meeting, this place where God is worshiped. And when they gathered there, God showed up in this miraculous new way to them, right? And then this happens in verse 26. Now, two men remained in the camp. One was named Eldad, the other Medad, and the Spirit rested on them. And they were among those registered, but they had not gone out to the tent. So they prophesied in the camp. And the young man ran and told Moses, Eldad and Medad are prophesying in the camp, right? Right? Here's what this means, y'all. This means people gathered around the tent of meeting to, to, and God showed himself in a mighty way and for some reason, Eldad and Me Dad couldn't make it to the tent of the meeting. And you know what? God showed up in a miraculous way for them. They didn't follow the rules. Doesn't it just get under your skin when people don't follow the rules and God uses them anyway? That's Eldad and Me Dad. Look at verse 28. So somebody comes and tattles, right? Verse 28. And Joshua, the son of Nun, the assistant of Moses from his youth, said, My Lord Moses, stop them. So yeah, they, they're not doing it right. We're greater. We're better. We're more mature. We're more holy. We're more right than them anyway, though. So stop them, right? Look what Moses says. But Moses said to him, Are you jealous for my sake? What that all the Lord's people were prophets, right? That the Lord would put his spirit on them and Moses and the elders of Israel returned to the camp. In other words, Moses said, don't stop them. God showed up and he's showing up for them. Let's celebrate that. I wish God would have done that for everyone so they could feel and know and experience the power of the God they now worship. Now, Moses' reply sounds familiar, doesn't it? Turn back to Mark. Because what Moses, what Jesus is doing in, in Mark, what Mark captures Jesus saying, has all happened before. Here's the deal. Jesus isn't so much giving his disciples a theology lesson as much as he is giving them a history lesson. Right When he says, don't stop him, he's saying the same thing that Moses said to his assistant to Joshua. Now, with this history, let's look at verse 40. Verse 40, Jesus says this, For the one who is not against us is for us. Right? Jesus gives them a principle. Like, is, it, is that uncomfortable for you? To see Jesus tell his disciples, listen, they're using my name. And if they're not against us, they're for us. It's uncomfortable for me, right? Because, because I think of all the times that I have thought we're better than they are. And yet God uses them. Right? And I, like there's a part of me that thinks God doesn't really know what I know about this person. Right? You see, y'all, this is what Jesus does is he stretches us to these uncomfortable places. Jesus tells his disciples that they, saw, that, that they saw using the name of Jesus, doing the work of God. Jesus says, like, let them do it. Because eventually, if not now, they're going to end up worshiping me. Because they're going to know and see and experience the power of my name. And that will change them just like it changed you. You see, the power of Jesus' name leads to the worship of Jesus' name. It's almost like Jesus is saying, y'all, trust me, I know him even though you don't. And I know how I'm using him even though you don't. And I know what's in his heart even though you don't. And then he does this. What he's about to say next is preparing them for what's coming, because it's almost like he's saying, oh, and by the way, you're going to need them one day. Because look at what he says next in verse 41. He says, for truly I say to you, whoever gives you a cup of water to drink because you belong to Christ will by no means lose his reward. And so Jesus is telling his disciples there is a future ahead for them, or sacrifice and trouble in them just existing from day to day is going to be really, really hard, that there's a time in their future where a cup of cold water is going to be super, super refreshing to them because they're not going to get it any time that they want it. And he's telling them that, that during this time, those who they think are different and who aren't following us, that they're going to need them They're going to need them to continue the work of God. And when someone gives you a cup of cold water in Jesus' name, he's he's asking his disciples, are you going to reject it? No. You're going to accept it. Because I know them, and I know their story. And by giving you a cup of cold water, they are on your side. Right? Jesus is trying to help them recognize and, and realign their, their focus. And if the disciples uh, don't need to focus on who's not in or out of that group, if they're not supposed to focus on that, then what are they supposed to focus on? Before we move on, I know you might be thinking, Fred, hold on, hold on. Like all these people are going through your head, right? All these groups. And you might be thinking like, Fred, are you saying we have to approve of everyone? Like, anybody have that thought going through your head? Like, where do we draw the line? Because eventually there has to be a line, right? And I think it's a valid question. I think Jesus anticipates that. That's why Mark says this next in verse. 42 says whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin it would be better for him if a great millstone were tied around his neck and he were thrown into the sea see Jesus gives them this qualifier like guys I know what's in your head like 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 you know if you're going to be with me like this is this is part of it you're going to see people using my name and 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 worshiping differently than you do and I'm going to use them but you can watch and see and see what, what does what do they promote? Do they promote a life of faithfulness to God or a life of disobedience? Do they promote a life of, of 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 sin? Or do they promote this life of submitting to the to the name and the power of Jesus and maybe just the way that looks? It makes you uncomfortable. But if it's promoting sin, then yes, Jesus speaks to that. In Matthew 18, like Paul picks up on that. In Galatians, like yes, we are to deal with sin. But if what they're doing doesn't promote sin and doesn't doesn't create a group of people that embrace sin, if it creates this group of people that are worshiping and, and, and trying to make sense of the truth of God and the good news of the gospel and the world they live in, then leave them alone. Actually, we're part of the same team. You see, Moses said this about the elders that were prophesying away from the tent of meeting. And he was saying, listen, what they're doing is promoting faithfulness to me. As a matter of fact, I wish everybody would do that. So you see our question, we're greater than them, right? Right? Is beginning to be answered here because Jesus asks us, so who promotes faithfulness to Jesus? And you see, if the passage stopped here, here's what we would do. Oh, we would be, I would be, I don't know about y'all, but I would be so happy if the passage stopped here because then I was back. I knew it, I could judge them. I knew there's a line. I knew it, I knew it, I knew it. But Jesus doesn't stop there. I think it's why Mark actually put all this into one paragraph. Because now, now it gets really fun. Because, because it, Jesus doesn't want to leave us comfortable being concerned about them. Right? He's going to do this whammy on us. And this is where I hope we feel uncomfortable for the right reasons now. Right? Because watch what Jesus does now. Verse 43 says this. He says, if your hand causes you to sin, so he was talking about them. Now look at what the pronoun is. What is it? You. If your if your if if your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. It's better for you to enter life crippled than to enter than with two hands and go to hell to the unquenchable fire. And if your foot causes you to sin, cut it off. It's better for you to enter life lame than with two feet and be thrown into hell. And if your eye causes you to sin, tear it out. It's better for you to enter the kingdom of God with one eye than with two eyes and be thrown into hell. Where the worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. Anybody feeling uncomfortable for the right reasons now? And not because I just said hell twice in church. Or three times, I lost count. Y'all, that made me uncomfortable. I don't know about y'all. But... Here's what Jesus is doing. He's speaking in a hyperbole here, right? Which is an exaggeration to make a point because he's not asking his disciples to jab their eyes out or to cut off their hands or to cut off their feet because the Old Testament speaks clearly that, that we are not to, to mutilate our bodies. In the New Testament, this idea is picked up that our body, our, our, our human physical body is a temple of God. And so, yeah, we're not to cut things off because of sin. If we did, like, what would be left, Right? But here's what Jesus is doing. He's saying, "What if disciples? What if in my kingdom you're more concerned about your faithfulness than you are theirs?" What if you ask the same questions you're asking them of them, uh, uh, you're asking of them, you ask it of yourself? And his point is if something causes you to sin, and what's interesting is, he, is he, he, he uses hand, foot, and eye. Hand is what you do, feet are where you go, and eye is what you see. If, if what you do or where you go or what you see causes you to sin, are you willing to, to, to change it? Are you willing to cut that out of your life so that you don't sin anymore in that area? Like, are you willing to actually change your life To get in line with me. See, what if when you follow me, you're more concerned about your sin than their sin? How would that change things? You see, Jesus shifts the focus for the disciples from from who's inside and who's outside to what's going on inside of me. Right? Right? What if what you do and where you go and what you see causes you to sin? Are you willing to change what you do? Like, even little changes. Like, I've just made this change on my phone because every week my phone does this annoying thing. And I'm sure I can change it, but it's nice for me to see because it's conviction and I'm preaching this message. And I thought, you know what? I'm just going to try something. It shows me every week how much time I spend on Facebook. Isn't that Silly of my phone to do that. And what it does is I keep thinking, gosh, if I had that much time every day, what would I do? So here's what I did. I didn't get rid of Facebook. I I do need to get on there for some stuff. It's just that I don't need to get on there and spend an hour doing other stuff and forget why I actually got on there in the first place. Amen? So what I did is on my phone, instead of having it on the front screen, I just moved it a couple of screens back. So I have to kind of intentionally go to it. And Instagram has its new home too, right? Because it was just causing a distraction. Like it can be simple stuff. Are you willing to do what it takes to change your life? You see, our growth groups are going through this book called The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry. And and I've read through it a, a, a couple of times. And what it has shown me is how much of a hurry I really am in and I didn't even realize it. Right, You see, Jesus is asking those who follow them to consider their own motives and their own actions more than they consider the motives and actions of others. It's not that you don't consider them, but are you considering yours more? Are you willing to cut out what it takes to have change in your life, to get in line with Jesus? You see, that's all sin is. It's those things in our life that get us out of line with Jesus, out of tune with Jesus. They could be motivated by pride or selfishness or even something as simple as, as boredom. But the question for you and me here is, are we willing to change what we do, where we go, and what we see to get in line with Jesus? And so the question is this, what needs to be cut out of your life? Right? To make more room for Jesus. And maybe something is coming to your mind right now. Maybe you need to deal with what's in here rather than dealing uh, with who's in and who's out, out there. But but, but here's the deal. Jesus never leaves us with just conviction. He also gives us comfort because, remember, he's the good shepherd. And what he's about to say next is really confusing, but it's meant to bring us comfort because here's what he says in verse 49. Verse 49, he says this, For everyone will be salted with fire. Salt is good. Yeah, makes sense, doesn't it? See, what this meant to them is they understood that fire and salt was about purification and purity. And so Jesus is saying, like, this process of looking at your sin more than you look at theirs, judging yourself with a, with a higher standard than you judge them, this process, salt is good. It is a good process. And so do it. Go through the process of being purified by me. And then he says this. Because here's the deal. Like, 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 it's not about them being good enough to be part of your group right jesus is saying you deal with your own sin and you will be better not better than them but better than you were yesterday and to jesus that's what being part of the kingdom is and then he says this in the rest of verse 50 he says he says but if the salt has lost its saltiness how will you make it salty again have salt in yourselves and be at peace with one another now it's interesting this word peace is the word harmony. And he said, when we deal with our sins more than we worry about the sins of others, we actually get to be in harmony with one another. And so I want to end with this little illustration before we go into communion. Uh, Do y'all know what this is? It's a tuning fork, right? And this one is a C, I think. Yeah, it's a C. Now, Matt, how many of you have been to the symphony, right? Oh, it's incredible, isn't it? I love watching the dis- different instruments, right? You've got the, the brass section, the strings, you've got the percussion, you've got, you've got the, the wind instruments. Now imagine a symphony that wanted, that, that like, give, give me one of the stringed instruments. What's a stringed instrument in a symphony? Cello, thank you. I played the cello in fifth grade. I should know that. I only played it for three months, but I played it. <laughs> it played me, actually. I had to carry that thing home and it was awful, right? Cello, yes, Imagine if the cello was stood up and said, okay, everybody get in tune with me and started playing. Or imagine if the percussion, if the drum stood up and said, no, 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 get in tune with us. Or or if a wind instrument said, no, 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 get in tune with me. and, And you had all these different instruments standing up and saying, get in tune with me, get in tune with me. This is what the disciples were doing. They were saying, as a matter of fact, if you look at the the beginning of where we started, their problem wasn't that he was using the name of Jesus. Their problem was that he's not following us. Their problem wasn't that Jesus, he's not following you. He's not following us. You see, they were saying, get in tune with us. But see, here's what happens. If that would break out which is kind of what the beginning of a symphony sounds like, right? When they're all kind of warming up and stuff, it sounds like it. But then what a conductor does is he stands up. He doesn't use this, right? But if he did, he would stand up and he would hit it. Can y'all hear that? That's a C, right? And everybody gets in tune with this. And that's what Jesus is saying. Guys, it's not about them getting in tune with you. It's about them getting in tune with me. That God has has brought me to earth so that I can get you in tune with me. Because when you're in tune with me, you're in tune with him. That's what Jesus is asking them to do. Right? And once everybody gets in tune with the tuning fork, do you know what happens? It's harmony. Harmony. The strings play in tune. The the wind instruments play in tune. You know, percussion. Does percussion get in tune? I don't even know. Do they do that? Okay, yeah, I don't know. Do they? Great, they get in tune. You're like, all the instruments get in tune, right? That's the picture here. That's the encouragement Jesus leaves us with. And so you see, people don't need to be in tune with us. We need to help them be in tune with Jesus. And the way we do that is getting ourselves in tune with Jesus. And so let me ask you, is Jesus your tuning fork, right? Is church about things you do or is, or is church about who you follow? Because we follow Jesus. And if you don't follow Jesus, today is a great day to do that, to let Jesus be your tuning fork. And communion is a great place to start because it is a public uh, declaration, that you are a follower of Jesus. And if you're not a follower of Jesus, it's okay. Stay in your seat. You don't need to join us for communion because I don't want you to make a statement about something that's not true. But if you are a follower of Jesus, when it's time for communion, and I'll talk about what we're doing here, because if you notice, it's not those adorable little things anymore. Chalices, right? Right? For those of us who have said yes to Jesus, Are you willing to consider what you do, where you go, and what you see to get more in line with Jesus? And are you willing to cut out what needs to be cut out to make more room for him? As we go into communion, I do want you to think about that question. And and, and sit in silence and, and let Jesus bring something to your mind maybe you need to make a shift in, and you need to move. Maybe you need to cut it out altogether. And as when you're ready to come down for communion, what we're going to have, because, yes, we're doing juice and crackers again, and, and uh, we have gluten-free, they're here, um, in, in an effort to minimize people sticking their hands all in the crackers. How many of you were thinking that? We've thought through that. So we're going to have elders up here giving you communion. And so we're gonna scrub in. We got hand sanitizer. We're gonna we're gonna we're gonna do that, and then we're gonna come up, and an elder is gonna give you uh, a cracker. And well, we've got three elders and Matt, the younger, associate pastor. Um, um, uh, well, I just want to be clear. He's not an elder yet. One day, one day. Lord willing, don't mess it up. But one day, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right, like. I'm sorry, that was, can we cut something out? <laughs> That's probably what we need to cut out. Anyway, I love laughing. We're going to come down, take communion together, and the is going to put a cracker in your hand and say the body of Christ broken for you, and they're going to put a little, little cup of juice in your hand and say the blood of Christ shed for you. And then uh, you can take those back to your seat and take them whenever you want. You can take them right then. We've got two trash cans here and one in the back to, to throw the little cup away. Um, but we're going to try it this way and see. So they'll be, you come down, probably what's best, just uh, logistics-wise, when you come down, go to the outside and work your way back up, all right? Um, let's pray. Jesus, what are we willing to change would you show us, as we sit here with, with eyes closed and heads bowed, will you show us what we need to change? In Christ's name I pray, amen. Let me go ahead and, and um, oh yeah, see, scrub in, there we go. All right, let me go ahead and, and um, lead us to communion. Jesus, when Jesus was with his disciples, he took the bread and he broke it, um, and he, he told them when he broke the bread, he said, this is my body broken for you. <laughs> and they took the bread and they ate it. And then he said, This is the my blood shed for you. And they took the cup and they drank it. haven't taken the elements now go ahead and take them as I pray Jesus your body was broken for us your blood was shed for us and we are grateful grateful that one day the last enemy to be defeated is death and we will live with you forever In what we can only dream and imagine about and until then give us a taste of it Let us live in your kingdom here on earth and anticipate one day in heaven. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.